All right, if you don't have a Bible, make sure you grab one off the back table. There's a whole bunch of blue ones back there. Welcome to week two of our study of the book of James. Last Wednesday, we camped out on James 1, 1. One verse for the entire time. Now, as I told you last week, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit tonight. We're not going to camp out on one verse. We're actually going to be in James 1, verses 2 through 12. And we learned a lot in that one verse, though, last week about the author of this book. Do you all remember who the author is? James. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty straightforward one. What? Tell me one thing we talked about last week. What's something that you found out about James last week? He wrote the book. Yes. I heard another one. He's the brother of Jesus. Now, do you remember there was something very significant about the fact that he was the brother of Jesus? Do you remember what that was? Yeah, he didn't believe in him. If, if you look, when you first learn about James being the brother of Jesus, you find out that James, the brother of Jesus, did not even believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Scripture shows us that. And yet we also know as we go through and we see that this book is written and as we study the history of the early church, we find out that James went from not believing in Jesus to being one of the early church leaders. To giving up his life, being martyred because of his belief in Jesus. His encounter with Christ after Christ was resurrected from the dead changed who James was. And that matters for us because we have a lot of times, we talked about last week how this book should come with a warning. Because there's things that we say we believe, and yet when we look at this book, this book calls us to take those things we say we believe and actually put them into action. To take our belief and our reality and let those two things collide. And, and when that happens, we become dangerous for Christ. Because we actually start doing what God calls us to do as disciples. And we're going to see a little bit more of what He calls us to do as we step through this passage tonight. So you've already answered the question. James is the one who wrote this book. Can anybody tell me when we believe it was written? 40 to 45 AD. That's right. And where do we think he, or where, excuse me, who do we believe he wrote it to? To Jewish Christians in house churches. Remember in verse 1, he says he writes to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. These are not people that are gathered like we're gathered. These are people who were meeting in homes because they were being persecuted. Because they were meeting in secret. And why was it written? To encourage them to live out their faith. Remember, they're hiding. They're worried. They could die because they're meeting as a church. They could lose their life. They could lose everything they have. So he's saying, believe what you know to be true, and live it out no matter what you face. So tonight I'm going to ask Mr. Brian Massey to come up here and read our passage. If you would stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Mr. Massey, would you come on up here and read those verses for us this evening? James 1, verses 2-12. through 12. All right. James 1, verses 2-12. through 12. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith without no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in its humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. 
so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the amazing privilege we have, Lord, to gather in your name to worship you through song and through the reading and the study of your word. Lord, I pray, Lord, as Pastor Jesse um, speaks what you have him to speak tonight, God, I pray that our eyes will be opened, our ears and our hearts will receive what you have for us, and that your sweet Holy Spirit would just reveal something new to us through your word that will equip us to better serve you, and that, God, we would just have a greater desire, Lord, to serve you, to be obedient to you, and to do what you've called us all to do as your children. Jesus, let me pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Y'all have a seat. All right. So as we walk through this tonight, I want you to, to keep this question in the back of your mind, okay? And the question is this, do I have joy? Not, not am I happy, not are there things that make me smile, but do I have joy? I, I mean joy that goes beyond, deeper than temporary happiness. I mean, for me, I, I think happiness, I have happiness when I get fresh baked chocolate chip cookies right out of the oven. That's happiness, but that's not joy. I'm talking about something that goes much deeper than those temporary feelings. It goes deeper than the circumstances in our lives. And that's exactly what James starts talking about right here in verse 2. Right out of the gate, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers. Not when things go your way. Not when life is great. Not when you're getting everything you ever thought you wanted. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now you need to understand, last week when we ended verse 1, that last word in verse 1 was greetings. And what that word we understood meant from the original language that was used, it wasn't just, hey, how you doing guys? It was, have joy, be glad. So James is continuing that same thought that he ended verse 1 with as, as he picks up verse 2. And i got to be honest with you, for me, verse 2 is probably one of the most difficult verses in the Bible for me to live out. It's hard to have joy some days. And, and I'm willing to bet that some of you feel that same way. Because every one of us, we have things that frustrate us when life doesn't go our way. I mean, for me, one of the biggest frustrations I have in the world is I, I have, we have a dog at our house. And this dog is a big black dog. He's a lab Rottweiler mix. So he's a, he's a big, almost 100-pound dog. And this dog loves people. This dog also loves to run. So when we accidentally leave the gate open to our backyard, he runs like a criminal that stole some old lady's purse. I mean, he bolts out of that gate and just takes off. And he loves water. That's the lab in him. So he will go somewhere in our neighborhood, in the neighborhood next to us. He will find water. And by the time he comes home, he is just nasty, muddy, wet, and his tail wagging, thinking he's had the best day of his life. And that frustrates me to no end. And we all have situations like that. Like maybe you go to the pantry and you go to pull out a box of cereal only to find somebody in your house finished off that box of cereal and put the cereal box back in the pantry. Does that make you angry? It does me. It happens, unfortunately, more than I would like for it to. We look at those things and we think, man, I'm being tried today. God's testing me. But that's not the kind of trials that James is talking about. He's talking about things that go deeper than that. Remember, he's writing this to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. He's writing this to 
the nation of Israel, Jewish Christians who are worshiping together in house churches, who are worshiping in a way that if they get caught, they could be put in jail. They could lose their livelihood. They could even lose their life. And he's saying, in those circumstances, have joy. And we look at that and think, how could they have joy? How can we really have joy in every situation? Because we, again, we think of some of our circumstances. We think, man, I just get so frustrated when my phone battery is about to die and I can't find a charger. How am I supposed to find joy in that situation? Or, or when I get to school and I find out that there's a, a test that I didn't know I was supposed to prepare for, there's no joy in that, is there? You kind of throw up your hands. You're like, oh, okay, here we go, another zero. Yeah, lost brain cells. Or how about this? How about when your parents tell you they still love each other, but they just can't be married anymore? There's joy in that. Or how about when you or someone you love gets a medical diagnosis that there's either no easy solution for or there is no solution for? That's the kind of stuff that James is talking about here. Not the little things that frustrate us, not the little things that get under our skin, but the things that really try who we are and what we believe. And, and in those moments, we feel anger and frustration and confusion and doubt. And those are natural things for us to feel. And it's okay to feel those things. But it's those things that begin to show what we believe about God. It's in those moments that what we say we believe collides with what's really happening in our life. And we've got to decide if those things are going to go together. James is talking about finding joy in those things. He's saying those feelings, those circumstances should not define your reality. The joy that you have in God is what should define your reality. Because in those moments, if you've got a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you know in those moments that no matter what is going on, God loves you. And God has a plan for you. And God has a purpose for you for your life. And you can know joy because you know God. Those things happen in our lives that force us to live out what we say we believe or throw our hands up and say, God, I don't know what to do here. How could you let this happen? Are you really even God? And there's people that ask those questions every single day. Our response in those times speaks very loudly about what we believe about God. That's why he says the testing produces steadfastness so that we may be perfect, complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. When those trials come, we have the opportunity to say, okay, God, I don't understand it. I don't get it, but I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to have joy in who you are, knowing that you have a purpose and a plan for my life or the life of the person that I love, even though this is happening. And as we begin to understand that, as we begin to follow God that way, we begin to see God work in our lives and we begin to mature in our relationship with Him. We begin to grow up in our faith. Every time I read this passage, there's a young man's face that comes to my mind. And he was a young man that was in the youth group at the first church that Miss Kathleen and I served at. And his name was Blake Cook. And Blake, you, you could not miss Blake. Blake had this fiery, I mean, bright red hair. He had grown down to his shoulders. I'm just going to say it, prettiest hair I've ever seen on a guy. Okay, he just had, it was just awesome. And that sounds really weird, but I'm going to say it anyway. Freckles everywhere, but here's, here's what stood out about Blake. Blake had joy. 
And I don't mean just he was happy all the time. I mean, he really had joy. And, and the way that I can say that and say that with confidence is because several months after we got to the church, Blake was diagnosed with leukemia. And, and Blake started going through chemotherapy. Now, you need to understand something here. Blake did not come from a family of Christians. He was the only believer in his house. The only one. In fact, he, got, he, he put his trust in Jesus at 13. His parents told him, you can get baptized when you're 18 and you've moved out and you're on your own. You're not going to do it while you're in our house. That's how on his own he was in his own house. But Blake had a passion for telling people about Jesus. Blake on Sunday nights when our church didn't meet on Sunday evenings, he and a couple friends actually would go on their own, buy cases of water, go out to Siesta Key Beach, hand those bottles of water out, and share the gospel with people. And, and there was no adult leading that group. They did it by themselves. He had a joy, he had a passion for his relationship with Christ in seeing other people come to that same knowledge. And as, as Blake began to go through chemotherapy, his face started to swell up. He lost that fiery red hair. I mean, bald as can be. And through that entire thing, what amazed me was the attitude that he had. In fact, there were a couple nights when he had to stay in the hospital and his family couldn't be there. So some of us took turns being in the hospital with him in case something happened that night. And I had one night where I had the opportunity to go just sleep on the couch and, and stay up with him late and just talk. And just hear about what's going on with his life. And, and one of the things that amazed me is in the course of that night's conversation, I found out that Blake had made two plans for his life. He had already planned out exactly what his funeral would look like. And he had already planned what college he was going to go to and what his career was going to be as a psychiatrist. Two distinct futures, completely opposite of each other. And I remember looking at Blake through the course of that conversation and asking him, how? How, how can you have plans for both of those outcomes? And he looked me square in the eye. He said, because I know no matter what happens, God has my back. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'm, I'm a pastor. I should be sharing this with him. And there's this teenager sharing this with me. And there was joy there. Because no matter what the outcome was, no matter what happened in his life, he had good days, he had really bad days. He knew that God had his back. He had joy. That was his attitude the entire time. Now, I will tell you this. Later that year, Blake lost his battle to leukemia. God healed him. God just healed him in a different way than we wanted him to. But through that entire process, Blake had the opportunity to choose joy. To let God work in his life. There were times, there were days where Blake asked those hard questions of why me, God? He didn't, he didn't want to die. He didn't want to lose his life. But in the course of that same conversation, Blake shared with me that he said if his family, if it took his sickness and his death for his family to see Christ, then he was okay with that. That's no matter what the circumstance is. And that joy can only come from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It can only come from knowing that God loves you so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sin, for my sin. And three days later, Jesus conquered sin and conquered death and He walked out of that tomb. 
And he gives us the opportunity to know that forgiveness and know that love and know that joy when we put our faith and our trust in him. Do you have that joy in your life? If you don't, you can tonight. It's as simple as asking God to forgive you of your sins. And I say simple because Scripture tells us that we believe it in our heart and we confess it with our mouth that you will be saved from your sins. And you can know that love and that joy that Blake knew and have that focus of who God has called you to be. Then James continues here in verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's pretty straightforward. If you need wisdom in your life, ask God. It, it couldn't be much clearer. And wisdom that he's talking about here, it's not just what's the advice your friends are giving you. Wisdom that he's talking about here, it's God-given and God-centered discernment. It comes from God's Word. It comes from who God is and who He calls us to be. And it says right there that He wants us to have wisdom and He will give it to us freely, but there's a catch. If you're going to ask God for wisdom, you need to be ready to receive it. You better expect results. It's, it's, it's not like when you, when you have something that you want to ask your parents that you're pretty sure before you ever go ask, you know they're going to tell you the answer is no. But you go to them anyway and you're like, you know, I was really hoping I could go out and do this with my friends this weekend. But, but if, if you don't want me to, I understand. I know I was gone last weekend. But, so it's okay if, if, if you don't want me to. And we've already decided we're not going to get the answer we're looking for. God says don't come to Him like that. If, if you come to Him and you're looking for wisdom, you better expect to receive wisdom. You better be ready to receive it. Because it says right there, He will give it to us. He'll do that through Scripture. He'll do that through wiser, older Christians, people that have walked with Christ longer than we have. Now understand this, sometimes the wisdom we get may not be the answers we're looking for or hoping for, but God will give us that wisdom. He says, ask in faith without any doubt. That's a settled trust and confidence that God is going to provide for you. Not like a wave tossed for the sea. Almost everybody in here, if not everybody, has been to the beach. You know what it feels like to be out there and for those waves to push you around. Sometimes you can't get your footing. You can't find your ground. And you're just floating going whichever way the wave takes you. He's saying, don't be like that person. Be steady. Be unmovable. If we ask Him and at the same time doubt Him, we're basically saying, God, I believe You can do all things, but I also believe there's a couple things that You can't quite handle. That's double-mindedness. That's what that means. How, how many of you in here are fans of the Lord of the Rings movies? A couple of you, okay. How many of you have seen them? Maybe you're not fans, but you've seen them. Do you remember the scene in the Two Towers? There's a character by the name of Gollum. Really nasty-looking dude. Spent many years in a cave. And there's a scene in the Two Towers where Gollum shows some double-mindedness. You know, I'm not going to describe it. Show that. I know you do, Daniel. That's it. We need something. Must. 
Sneaky little Lawrences. Wicked, crazy, false. No, no. Master? Yes, precious, false. They will cheat you, hurt you, lie. Master's my friend. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. Not listening. Not listening. You're a liar. And a thief. No. Murderer. Go away. Go away! <laughs> I hate you. If you haven't seen it. I, I hope you caught what was happening there. That's not two different people. That's the same guy. And there's an internal struggle happening there. You know why? Because he was double-minded. He was double-minded in there at that scene. But did you notice something at the end? At the end, that went away. Now he was focused. He was one person from that point. Only for a little bit longer, but for a while he was one person. That's kind of what James is talking about here. He's saying that if, if you're going to ask God for wisdom, you can't be double-minded. You can't be like two different personalities warring against each other. I trust God. I don't trust God. God's going to provide. God's not going to take care of me. He's saying you need to know that God's going to do what God said He's going to do. You need to trust Him and you need to ask Him with a confidence because God promises to deliver this wisdom that we need when we need it if we will seek Him in confidence. And then he goes on in verse 9. He says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers with the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Basically, James is telling us there that no matter what your situation or your state in life, God is in control of all things. God provides for us. God can take away from us. 
What we have to do is rely on Him for everything. The life that honors God is one that holds fast to Him when trials come. That's what He's talking about right there. When these things that happen in your life that test your faith, that bring you to the point of, okay, God, am I really going to take what I believe and let it work in my life? When you find yourself on the brink of those situations, that's when He's telling us to hold fast to who God is when those trials come. When things test what you say you believe. Do you cling to God and His Word or do you shrink away? So I want you to stop for a second and think, what trial are you facing right now? For some of you, it may not be anything major going on in your life. For some of you, there's some big things happening right now. And in the middle of that, do you have joy? Do you have joy knowing that the God of the universe knows you, loves you, gave His Son for you. No matter what your hurt is, no matter what your sadness is, no matter what your frustrations are, knowing that God loves you above all else, that is a joy that can only come through a relationship with His Son. And if you've never experienced that, but you're struggling tonight, and you want to know what that joy, what that love feels like in your life, you can do that. You simply say, God, I'm a sinner. And these are my words. You can use yours. And I can't forgive my sin. But I know that Jesus Christ died on a cross for me. And He rose from the dead. And I put my faith and trust in Him. Please forgive me of my sin. I want to follow Him with my life. Those are my words. You can use your own. But if you decide to do that tonight, you can know what that joy looks like. And if you're here tonight, Maybe you just need wisdom in your life. You need wisdom on how to live out God's will and what's going on in your current situation. And if that's the case and you want somebody to pray for you, I encourage you, write it down on one of those yellow cards. Drop it up here in the basket. Drop it in that basket by the door on your way out. And myself and some of the other adults in here, we will pray for you. Trust God. Know God loves you. Know God does want the best for your life. Know that God wants you to have that joy, what Scripture tells us, the peace that passes all understanding, no matter what's going on. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we can trust you. God, that you promised that when, when we need understanding, when we need wisdom, God, you'll give it to us. God, when we trust you, when we live in that knowledge and in your word, God, you promise to give us joy. Joy that doesn't make sense sometimes. Other people may look at our lives and, and, and if we're living in that joy, God, know that, that what's happening with us, we shouldn't feel the way we do. We shouldn't be responding the way we do. But God, my prayer is that every single person in this room tonight will know that kind of joy. To know that you love each one of us. I know that you gave your son for each one of us that would put our faith and trust in you. God, I pray for anybody in here tonight that doesn't know that joy because they don't know your son. They don't have that relationship. I pray, God, that you would, you would speak to them right now. God, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his holy name we pray.